You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, sometimes a picture speaks a thousand words. And that's usually the case when it's relatable to something in our own experience. In 2012, or 2016, rather, Nicholas Carderas wrote a book titled Glow Kids. And this here is the picture that was on the cover. It's a, it's a relatable picture, right? It's relatable because we all know what it's like to be trapped in the glow at some point or another of whatever devices we happen to own. The subtitle of the book is How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids and Then How to Break the Trance. So in the book, he actually makes a pretty compelling argument that sc- extended screen time is having a negative effect on the younger generation, on, on children. But the reality is that, that getting lost in the glow of a screen, that's not just an issue for, for children or for of parents to, of children to grapple with. This is something that, you know, we're here in 2021. This is something that every single adult needs to be aware of and consider as well. The reality is that we live in a screen-saturated world. That's our context. And that reality and that, that context, it poses certain challenges when it comes to how, how we think. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to seek guidance from God's Word on how to overcome the challenges of living and of thinking in a screen-saturated world. So we're going to do that, but before I continue, I want to let you know that at the end of the message, I'm going to have some ideas, some suggestions on how to apply what it is that we talk about today. So that's coming, and I just want to be really clear up front about what the application is is not. So I'm going to tell you, the application is not to go home and cancel your Netflix and delete your Instagram, okay? (laughs) The application is not to take away your teen's smartphone and give them an old school pager to replace it. That's not what we're talking about. There's not going to be containers at the doors on your way out for you to throw away your iPhone that you just bought. That's not what we're after this morning. And the reason for that is that not only are these technologies that we all have and use, not only are they here to stay, but they really benefit us in innumerable and countless ways, don't they? Uh, My parents, for example, my parents, they live up in the Bay Area, and so that's about, uh, it's about an eight-hour drive, it's about nine hours if you're changing diapers on the way, so for us, it's about nine-hour drive, so we see them every now and then, we see them every so often, Uh, but, you know, there's long gaps in between those visits, between those visits, My parents, they're able to talk to my kids on FaceTime. They're able to see them, talk with them, maintain that relationship. Right now, my mom is actually reading a book to my kids, a chapter book, kind of in half-hour installments on FaceTime. So this is is an incredible benefit and incredible value to my family. And then, of course, there's countless other benefits. We could all just rattle off a dozen or a hundred ways that these technologies benefit us. But... When every new technology comes on scene, with every new technology, what we tend to do is we tend to be very quick to celebrate those benefits and then a little bit slower to acknowledge the drawbacks that come with those benefits. In uh, in 1908, Henry Ford first began mass-producing Model Ts. And so everyone knows this made it possible for the first time for the average American to own a car, to have a, a family automobile. And so that experience brought a ton of benefits to our society and to just the average American family. But then, as that technology, as it became more widespread, 
it also became apparent that there were drawbacks, that there were some dangers that came along with the benefits. And those, those dangers, those drawbacks are, are obvious, you know, auto accidents, uh, fatalities, and, and injuries associated with those. And so what we did is we made some early attempts. We made some early attempts to reduce <laughs> those dangers. So here's one of those early attempts. And I'm not going to try to explain this. I don't really know what's going on here. I just know that you could have it from Sears for $1.88. So this was one of our early attempts, but it wasn't until 1959. In 1959, so now this is a full 50 years later that the three-point seatbelt, the one that we all used in our cars when we were coming here today, that was first introduced by Volvo. And so when, when this was introduced, it significantly reduced the deaths and the injuries that are the side effect of that life-changing technology of the vehicle. So the benefits of vehicles, those were immediately recognized. It took time to recognize, and not just to recognize, but to then account for the drawbacks. And so when it comes to screen technology, we're honestly still figuring out exactly what those drawbacks are. We don't totally have a grip on, on what they are at this point. Keep in mind that the, the iPhone was only introduced back in 2007. So this is still relatively new. But one of the known drawbacks that we need to recognize and that we need to account for is the role that screens can play in kind of just chipping away at our ability to reflect. And so re to reflect, to reflect means to think deeply or to think carefully about something. And when, we, when we reflect, what we're doing is we're thinking not, not haphazardly, but we're thinking, we're thinking deliberately about something. And it's really an amazing ability that God has given us. And it's an ability where when we exercise it, when we use it, it really honors him. And so a question for us today is, how do we become people who think deliberately? How do we become people who reflect? And I'll tell you right now, the answer is not to just unplug and get off the grid. The answer is not to spend all of our time in meditation. Instead, the answer is for us to build real life habits of reflection habits that fit into our, our, real, our real lives. So for guidance on how to do that today, we're going to look at Proverbs 24. This is a really interesting passage in the Bible, and I'm, ex I'm excited to be talking to you about it today because I think it's just so fascinating. Um, it gives us not only an example of a reflecting mind in these few verses, but it also gives us three habits for us to imitate. So let me read that for you. This is verses 30 through 34. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and then I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So what's going on here? In the, in the first two verses, he's basically describing the scene that he saw. He walks by and he sees, you know, a field, he sees weeds, thorns, he sees the wall that's kind of broken down, so he sees that. And then in the final two verses here, what we see is that he's describing the scene that he, or he's describing the lesson, rather, from the scene that he saw. And so in this case, the lesson is, you know, something like laziness is a slippery slope and it leads to destruction. So that's kind of what's going on in the first two and the last two verses. But then right there in the middle, you've got this interesting verse, and here it describes the process of how he went about reflecting. And that's what we're going to focus on today. He says, I applied my heart 
to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. So in this verse, he did three things. He observed, he applied his heart, and he learned. And so let's look at each of these here and ask, how do we build these habits of reflection in our own lives? So the first thing he did is he observed. He observed, he noticed, he actually was paying attention. He was taking in the world around him as he walked by. And so this might seem like something that is trivial or, or obvious, but it's really neither of those. It's actually a very important habit for us, and it's one that's easily overlooked. Without good observation, then good thinking, it never gets off the ground. And that's because observation, what it does is it provides the content, or it provides the, the fuel or the raw material that, that's needed to fuel our reflection. Good thinking is dependent on good observation, much in the same way that good science is dependent on good observation. Now we know that God has placed all of the rules and, and all of the raw material of science in the universe for us to uncover and for us to use, which is an, an amazing thing. But then the ball of scientific discovery, it never gets going, it never gets rolling without quality, high quality observation. And so that's why the first step in the scientific method that we all learned at some point in school is observation, followed by good questions, by hypothesis, experiment, and, and eventually conclusion. So in science, poor observation, what it does is it really undermines the entire scientific method. And then when it comes to thinking, poor observation, it undermines the whole process of reflection. So if that's true, if that's really the case, then how is screen technology an obstacle at this observation stage of reflecting? Well, it becomes an obstacle by doing this, by presenting us with a constant opportunity to choose passive amusement over active observation. A constant opportunity to choose passive amusement over active observation. So to be amused, that means to be entertained or occupied in a light, playful, or kind of a, a pleasant manner. And that's not a bad thing by any means. The problem comes with the challenge of limiting amusement to a proper role in our lives. And this is a challenge because our minds are highly favorable toward the path of least resistance. And that gives passive amusement a strong edge over active observation when it comes to how we choose to allocate our time. It's very easy for us to fill all of the margins of our time with amusement simply because we can. We have access to it at all times. Now, let's clarify that not everything that can be done on your phone is in the category of passive amusement. That's not what we're saying here today. But often, what starts off as a deliberate task, it kind of degenerates, and it ends up into scrolling social media or thumbing through those clickbait articles. And I'll tell you, it's the weather app of all things that gets me all the time. I don't know if this happens to you or not, I mean, how much more of a legitimate task can you get than I'm just going to check the weather for the day? Next thing I know, it's videos of lightning or <laughs> all kinds of things, cute animals. They, they've got my number, so hats off to you, weather app. Um, they've got me. But if you've ever found yourself in this spot, if you've ever found yourself picking up your phone to accomplish something specific and then realize 20 minutes later that you've just kind of been bouncing from one form of fluff to the next, well, and just, and just kind of wondering, what in the world just happened? 
Well, first of all, you're not alone. And it turns out that what just happened didn't happen by accident. I want you to check out this video. This is a TED Talk by Tristan Harris. He's a former design ethicist at Google. So let's watch this together. I want you to imagine walking into a room, control room with a bunch of people, 100 people hunched over at desks with little dials, and that that control room will shape the thoughts and feelings of a billion people. This might sound like science fiction, but this actually exists right now, today. I know because I used to be in one of those control rooms. I was a design ethicist at Google, where I studied how do you ethically steer people's thoughts. Because what we don't talk about is a handful of people working at a handful of technology companies, through their choices, will steer what a billion people are thinking today. Because when you pull out your phone and they design how this works or what the, on the, what's on the feed, it's scheduling little blocks of time in our minds. If you see a notification, it schedules you to have thoughts that maybe you didn't intend to have. If you swipe over that notification, it schedules you into spending a little bit of time getting sucked into something that maybe you didn't intend to get sucked into. When we talk about technology, we tend to talk about it as this blue sky opportunity. It could go any direction. And I want to get serious for a moment and tell you why it's going in a very specific direction. Because it's not evolving randomly. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. And that goal is the race for our attention. Because every news site, TED, elections, politicians, games, even meditation apps, have to compete for one thing, which is our attention. And there's only so much of it. And the best way to get people's attention is to know how someone's mind works. And there's a whole bunch of persuasive techniques that I learned in college at a lab called the Persuasive Technology Lab to get people's attention. So your attention is a scarce commodity. And your attention, it has value. And it's important for us to note that your attention has value not just to you, but it has value to the developers of your favorite apps. It has value to the producers of your favorite shows. And then for us, as followers of Christ, this is something that we need to be very mindful of. It's something we need to pay attention to because the Bible is very clear that we need to take responsibility for making the best use of our time. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So we're told here in Ephesians to make the best use of our time, and in the race for our time and for our attention, without intentional effort on our part, the winner is usually going to be the, the easiest and the most amusing option. And so in 2021, step one in making the best use of our time means that we take control of what we pay attention to or what we observe. And so it's probably true that each of us in this room has at least a general sense and, and probably a very specific sense of the kinds of things that um, are not a high priority, that don't deserve a high priority when it comes to our time and it comes to our attention. 
If I, if I asked everyone, I'm not asking you to do this, but if I asked everyone to kind of write down the top three time and attention wasters, I don't think there's anyone in the room who would have a hard time coming up with three things for their list. But then if we know what does not deserve high priority for our time and attention, then what does deserve high priority? That is a helpful question for us to ask. In other words, what do we observe that will fuel the kind of reflection that we read about here in Proverbs 24? So for this, let me, let me give you three, let me suggest four, rather, categories uh, for us to consider. These are, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a great starting point for what does deserve a high priority. First is observe God's word. We're going to talk more about this, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. But for now, I want to note that the Bible is the single most deserving thing of our attention. It's the only perfect content that we can observe. Every other content is going to fall short of perfection in one way or another. And so nothing is going to fuel meaningful reflection for us like reading the words of the one who made us. So God's word also observe creation. So the Bible... The, the Bible, not creation, that's the source of truth. But the Bible itself, it directs us and it points us over and over again to observe creation, observe what God has made, and then to learn from it. In Proverbs, we're told that the lazy person can grow in wisdom and learn in wisdom by observing the ants. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. In the Gospels, Jesus directs the worried person to learn from the birds. He says, Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the Psalms, I love this one, this is a great example. In Psalms, the prideful person can learn humility just by observing the night sky. It says, when I look to your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? So, Creation is not God's word, but creation does illustrate and it confirms God's words. In fact, the Bible, over and over again, it's pointing us back to the ants, the birds, the moon, the stars, and it's doing that assuming that we are observers, not just of God's word, but also of his creation. The Bible assumes that we are observing creation and can be instructed by it. So it takes a minute, but when we slow down, and when we allow ourselves just to stand in awe of what God has made, we're really fueling the kind of reflection that honors him. So observe his word, observe creation, and then observe people. You, you, probably, you may have not known this. I didn't know this until recently. But did you know that April is officially Distracted Drivers Awareness Month? <laughs> Who knew, right? Okay. But it turns out that back in April of 2019, HBPD actually gave out 620 tickets for cell phone use while driving back in 2019. And when screens distract us from observing the road, we all know that the, the consequences, they can, they're very visible and they can be painful. And so it's something that rightly gets attention. But far less visible are the consequences of distracted husbands, distracted wives, distracted mothers, distracted fathers. And then, unlike distracted drivers, there's no distracted husbands awareness month. There's no distracted mothers awareness month. And honestly, if there was, I, I don't think it would make much of a difference. So it really falls to us. It falls to each of us to take initiative 
to be attentive observers of our families. We need to observe our families so that we can reflect on how to best parent our kids, how to best love our spouses. Now, a few months ago, I was, uh, I was watching an old UFC fight on YouTube. So I was watching this fight, and one of my daughters came up to me, and she said something. And I want to be clear, she didn't say this in like a, a manipulative way or anything like that. She actually said this very politely. But she said, Dad, could you please stop doing that and spend some more time with your family? <laughs> oh, right? So it was like a punch in the gut. I mean, I, was, I, I, I immediately thought, what in the world am I doing? It's 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, and here I am, instead of using these crucial hours before bedtime to pay attention to my family, I was paying attention to Conor McGregor. And I don't even like Conor McGregor. <laughs> the gut punch, it helped me realize that if I don't manage my role, if I don't manage rather the role of watching sports, in my life, then my tendency, my strong tendency, is to just kind of turn into zombie dad every time I want to unwind. And so in this sense, observation, it's far more than just an individual intellectual exercise. It's a habit that has real consequences in real relationships. Uh, Final thing, final suggestion to observe is this. Observe a book. So you might ask, well, how is turning pages of a book different than binging something on Netflix? And I think that's a fair question because outwardly they are very similar. Both of them involve sitting there and both of them involve taking in content. So outwardly they appear very similar, but neurologically they really couldn't be more different. Brain scans have shown that the reading brain is very different from the watching brain. And the difference essentially boils down to this. The reading brain is actively engaged in observing content, whereas the watching brain is just kind of passively absorbing content. So there's a big difference. And that's why when someone says, I'm going to go sit on the couch and veg, what do we all assume? Not that they're going to go read a book, right? When I'm going to go sit on the couch and veg, that means watch something, not read something. So sometimes the most God-honoring mental exercise that we can do to sharpen our observation and to enhance our reflection is to just buckle down and read a good book. So the habit of good observation, that provides the content of our reflection. Next in Proverbs 24, we see the second thing that the author did was he applied his heart to what he observed. It says, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. So for us, apply your heart. That's the second thing. Other translations here, they they say uh, he considered what he observed, or they say he put his mind to what he observed. The idea, though, is that he didn't just see the content. He didn't just see a wall. He didn't just see a field, some weeds. Instead, he put mental focus into understanding what it was that he saw in a way that required time and a way that required effort. In, uh, In 2010... This is really interesting. In 2010, a Pew Research, Pew Research Center conducted a survey of 900 kind of forward-thinking experts across these various fields. And of those who were surveyed, 81% of them agreed with this statement. I'll, I'll read it, but I'll put it up so you can you follow along. It says, by 2020, people's use of the internet will have enhanced human intelligence. As people are allowed unprecedented access to information, they will become smarter and make better choices. All right. 
So this is from 2010, and now here we are on the other side. We're actually in on the other side of 2020. So what do you think? Were they right? Has that actually occurred? In many ways, it's really impossible to tell. It's, it's, it's really not a fair question. It's kind of impossible to tell whether something as qualitative as, as smarter or making better choices has actually taken place. I will say personally, I am doubtful that our collective intelligence and especially our decision-making has improved very much in the past decade. But whether it has or not, it's very interesting to note here the assumption made by those who agreed with this statement. And the assumption is this. The assumption is that access to more information will lead to enhanced intelligence and better choices. In other words, what, what the assumption is is that more information will lead to more insight. And this is a pretty common assumption, but the Bible offers a very different perspective. According to the Bible, insight comes not so much through information as it does through effort. Let me read for you out of Proverbs 2. It says, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So Proverbs is saying here, you want insight? That's great. You want something good. You want something admirable. But it's also saying there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that with effort, you can have that insight. If you put in effort, you can have the insight that you want. But then the bad news is, it's going to take effort. Call out, raise your voice, seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. These are all things that imply at least some level of effort on our part. And unfortunately, having the internet in our pockets has not prepared us well for effort. Nicholas Carr is the author of a book, uh, The Shallows, subtitled, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And uh, in that book, he captures well the problem of wanting insight without effort. He says, it takes patience and concentration to evaluate new information, to gauge its accuracy, and to put it in context. And the internet, by design, subverts both patience and concentration. So in our kind of instant gratification culture, it's very easy to develop almost, almost an aversion for prolonged focus. And in turn, that makes it very easy to give up on insight too soon when too much effort is required. Often we, we want our insight to come in the form of a product, right? God, on the other hand, God offers it in the form of a process, not a product. We want our insight to be pre-packaged. We definitely want it to show up at the very top of the Google search results. We want it well formatted, and we want it scannable in one to three minutes. And that's all well and good if the insight that we need is how to hard boil an egg. But it's kind of a problem when it comes to matters that require real insight. Finding real insight, usually it's going to take more time and effort than we would prefer, but we can be encouraged because God has said that if we apply our hearts and if we put in the effort to seek insight in his way, then it can be found. So then how do you practically go from observing to applying your heart and seeking insight? Well, two, two things, two at least starting points for that. The first is to ask God. We just read in Proverbs 2 where it says, call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. Now, who better to call out to, who better to raise our voice to for help, for insight, for understanding than to God? 
And this requires humility. It requires humility to say, God, I don't have all of the insight that I need to understand what I'm seeing or what I'm experiencing right now. Will you please help me? Will you please give me that wisdom and understanding? So the first thing is to ask God. The second thing is to ask questions. Develop the habit of attaching questions to your observation. Not just having observation, but then attaching questions to those observations. So, for example, as you read God's word, ask questions of what you're reading and search for answers. As you view creation, allow yourself to be curious, to, to, to wonder about it, to, to, to ask how and, and why it works. As you observe people, ask, why do they do the things that they do? What makes them tick? How does God want to use me in their life? As you read a book or, or even as you, as you watch a movie, ask, what ideas are at play here? What ideas are going on? Are those valid ideas? Are they harmful ideas? When we ask good questions like this, we're applying our hearts and we're really building that habit of reflection. So now the final habit that we read about here in Proverbs 24 is this. It's to learn. I applied my heart to what I observe and learned a lesson from what I saw. The idea is that he uncovered a principle here. He uncovered something true that he could apply. In this case, it had to do with laziness and, and diligence. He, he learned something, he uncovered something true that he could actually apply to his life. So observing, applying our hearts, asking good questions, these are all great starting points when it comes to reflection, but honestly, they're lousy ending points. The goal is to uncover and apply truth. To achieve this goal, it's, it's, it's vital, it's very important that we recognize that we are prone to false insight. In other words, not everything that strikes us as true will actually turn out to be true. Uh, over, the past, over the past year, something kind of fun in, in the life of my family has been that my oldest daughter is learning how to read. So it's been, we've been going through this whole process. And I know a lot of you who have kids that, that are a little bit older, you've been through this, you know it's a blast. We're just experiencing it and, and having a lot of fun. It's fun to see the, the gears in her mind turning as she figures this out and as she adds this skill. But the other day, she ran across this word here, and I'll, I'll put it up on the screen for you. When she saw it, she really focused she really tried to figure it out. She really applied her mind to it. But then after sounding out alp habit, it just, it just didn't sound right. Something didn't sound right about alp habit. And so what she did, rather than cling to alp habit, she went and she sought out a reading authority. In that case, in this case, the reading authority happened to be me. She sought out someone to essentially check her work. And so we, you know, we talked about the pH rule, and, uh, and she, she read it, she, it, things clicked, and she kind of went on and kept on reading. It was great. But this is the same attitude that we need to have when it comes to the skill of reflection. We focus, we apply our hearts, absolutely. We put in effort, just like my daughter putting in effort to learning the skill of reading. But then we also check our work. And for us, the authority by which we check our work is the word of God. His word is the ultimate source of truth, and when our thinking doesn't match up with his words, we adjust our thinking, not his words. And that checking our thinking against God's word, what it does is it, it keeps our thinking grounded in what is actually real, what is actually true. And so whenever we realize that our thinking has been off, whenever we realize that we've been pronouncing alphabet as alp habit, 
We don't get discouraged by that. Instead, we make the adjustment. We apply it where we need to, and we keep on going. Now, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned at the beginning that I had some suggested application at the, at the end for you. And so here's the suggested application. It's to pick three things, one from each of these categories. Pick one thing to pay less attention to, one thing to pay more attention to, and then a period of time to try that out. So for one thing to pay less attention to, for me, I've already mentioned kind of how sports is in that category of something I need to pay less attention to. So for the past couple months, that's something I've been working on, just trying to dial back the amount of sports that I pay attention to. Um, and that's, that's, that's for me, that, that's just what's made sense for me. I will tell you, I've kept hockey. Um, <laughs> just seemed important to keep hockey, so I did. Um, so you might choose, you know, social media, uh, maybe a show or maybe, maybe, maybe video games, something like that. We're all different, and there's a million things that distract us. So, um, so whatever it is for you, pick one thing that you might need to pay less attention to. And then don't just pay less attention to it. Instead, pay more attention to something else, something that is a high priority. Maybe God's Word. Maybe read a chapter in the morning or listen to a chapter from the Bible on the drive to work. Make observations about it. Uh, consider those observations and look for ways to apply it. Maybe creation. Maybe it's just taking a walk on the beach or taking a walk in the wetlands and just observing what God has made and reflecting on his creation. Maybe it's people. Uh, observe your kids and, and put those observations to use and, and ask, how can I help my kids grow to be godly adults? Pay attention to your spouse, coworkers, friends, and ask, how does God want to use me to be a help to them. Or maybe it's a book. Maybe you've got a book that you know you've been wanting to read, to pay attention to. Or maybe you just need to kick, hap, kick, kick start the habit of reading by picking up Harry Potter. And if that's the case, that's totally valid too. And then pick a period of time to try it out. So pick a start date and an end date at the end of that time, evaluate it, see how it went, and see what God can do with that in your life. And then together, let's ask God just to help us build these habits of reflection. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the minds that you have given us. What a great gift that is. And um, God, we, we thank you that we have so many, so many resources that you've given us to, to learn from. And it is all these things are a joy. So we thank you for how you demonstrate your love for us just in, um, in these great gifts that you've given us. God, uh, there are a lot of distractions around that can keep us from focusing on the things that are really important. You know the things that are really important. I ask that you would help us as we, as we seek to really focus on your priorities. And, um, and God, we, we know that we need your help in this endeavor. We are, we are helpless without you. And so, so we ask for your help and your assistance. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.